Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. The priesthood is regarded as a noble vocation. Priests are so close to God that sometimes we forget that they're people too, just like the rest of us. And like every person on earth, we all have our flaws. And as the people on this list will show, some of those are much worse than others. These are the top five most sinful priests. Number five, Reverend Mike Tabb. Former Navy chaplain Reverend Mike Tabb and his family moved from Camp Lejeune, North Carolina to Troop, Texas, where the small town of 1,900 people welcomed them with open arms. All seemed well within the household until August 5, 2002, when a frantic call from the Reverend reached the local police station. Investigators rushed to the scene at around 6.30 p.m., where they found Marla, the Reverend's wife, lying in a pool of her own blood. The 35-year-old had been savagely beaten, and she had received multiple blows to the head and face. Her jaw was broken in several places and there were signs she had been strangled as well. A nearby wooden table had three broken legs 
one of which was missing, and this is believed to have been the murder weapon. Investigators noted there were no signs of forced entry, neither was there any indication of rape or even robbery. However, picture frames were askew, furniture was broken, and the room was a mess, indicating Marla had struggled against her attacker. Just six weeks before her death, Marla had given birth to her second son. The pregnancy had difficulties, resulting in a cesarean section, and the couple also had a two-year-old. According to the Reverend, he was out visiting family and then went to the store with their son before returning home and finding his wife murdered. But despite his claims, investigators were unconvinced of his story, and soon they started to uncover a part of the Reverend's life that he had kept secret. It was rumored he was leading a double life and often frequented a gentleman's club. There are also stories of the physical and verbal abuse of Marla before they even moved to the new town. Police also found that the Reverend kept two P.O. boxes secret from his wife, and Marla had recently told a friend that she was troubled by recent events in her marriage. At the crime scene, efforts of a cleanup were obvious. Investigators noticed the Reverend's shoes had been cleaned, but minute traces of blood were found on the soles and upper leather area. In the back of his pickup truck, there was a small area that had been cleaned, and forensics revealed that there were traces of blood. Ultimately, Reverend Mike Tabb was charged with murder and sentenced to 55 years in prison for the crime. As for why exactly he killed his wife, he has never offered an answer for that. Number 4. Pastor John Canning In Sebring, Florida, Pastor John Canning delivered a 30-minute eulogy at the funeral of Lee and Hazel Gleese. A slain elderly couple, both 90 years old, were found strangled to death inside their home, and Pastor Canning told attendees he was so close to them that he even called them mom and dad. Just six weeks later, Canning would be arrested for their murders. Pastor John studied at the Zion Bible Institute in Rhode Island, but was not ordained. Afterwards, he bounced from place to place, starting various small churches, but trouble always seemed to push him out. He would either be kicked out or would leave because of problems including one allegation of sexual misconduct and several questionable situations with church finances. He finally moved to Sebring, Florida in 1987 where he founded a small church. Together with several elderly couples including the Gleases, they created the Fountain of Life Church. By 1992, Canning was again at odds with his parishioners as some discovered he had been pilfering church money to a secret account under his name. As a result, half of his parishioners left the church. Then a year before they were killed in 1994, the Gleases apparently gave Canning power of attorney over their finances. Soon they found out that he was stealing their savings money and likely confronted him. Hazel and Leo were killed on January 2, 1995 from multiple blunt force trauma wounds. Both were struck by a walking cane before being strangled. It was Canning who had discovered the bodies and reported it to the police, but from the outset, he was considered a suspect by investigators after suspiciously waiting an entire day before reporting the crime. He told detectives he panicked and got fearful, so he took a while before letting them know about it. Police found this to be an obvious red flag and discovered that after he supposedly found the bodies, he then went to his church to clean up, took his wife to the beach for the day, and then had dinner before reporting the deaths. 
Police searched a trash pile at a construction site close to Canning's Church and found items belonging to the Gleases. They also discovered a broken wristwatch in the Gleases' home with blood on it. Eventually, Canning was linked to the Gleases' deaths and arrested. In 1993, the pastor was found guilty on two counts of murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Number 3. Father Gerald Ridsdale Born in Western Victoria, Australia, Father Ridsdale first took his vows into the priesthood at St. Patrick's Cathedral in 1961. In the first year of his services, the church already received complaints about his behavior, but somehow they never did anything about it. He was proclaimed chaplain of St. Alapius Primary School, an all-boys boarding school in 1971, and from there his sexual misconduct only escalated. Initially, the Archdiocese of Ballarat had denied knowing about Ridsdale's misconduct, but later investigations revealed that they had known about it earlier and for some reason protected the priest by moving him to different appointments instead. For 32 years, the priest was shielded by the Catholic Church and left to go on with his crimes. The first time the priest was convicted of child abuse was in 1993, a famous photo of him accompanied by Archbishop George Pell caused a public uproar as it signaled that instead of siding with the victims, it was clear they were protecting a sadistic priest. Since the image of the two was released, more victims have stepped forward, speaking out about their own assaults. For several decades, Ridsdale has been repeatedly brought back to court, starting in 1993, then in 94, 2006, 2014, and in 2017, each time facing new charges. In 1993, it involved indecent assault on nine boys, ages 12 to 16. He pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 12 months in jail. Then in 94, with more victims stepping forward, he was summoned again and charged with the indecent assault of 20 boys, ages 9 to 15, and one 11-year-old girl. He was jailed for 18 years, with the possibility of parole after 15. Then in 2006, he was again charged with incidents that involved 10 boys, the youngest for these of which was 6 years old. By April of 2014, he was again convicted, and an additional 8 more years were given on top of his current jail term. In 2017, more victims came forward, and Ridsdale was again charged with more jail time. In total, 65 child sexual assaults, with victims as young as four years old, were brought against him, although many believe the number of these victims could be in the hundreds. Ridsdale, in interviews, has never blamed himself. He said that he knew his crimes were serious sins, and that he regrets that the church never stopped or reported him. Number 2. Father Joseph Maskell Born Anthony Joseph Maskell on April 13, 1939, he opted to use the name Joseph when he entered the seminary. Those who knew him described the priest as being an intelligent man who loved psychology, someone who would offer his counseling services to students at any time. But underneath the seemingly noble exterior, Maskell was actually a complete monster. Over the years, 30 victims have come forward detailing sexual abuse by the priest 
most of which occurred while he was working as chaplain for the Archbishop Coe High School between 1965 and 1975. The school was in Baltimore City, Maryland, and he often conducted the abuse during regular school hours. High school students would be called over the PA system and asked to go see the chaplain. With his panache for psychology, he often identified vulnerable victims and took advantage of them. In his office, he would sexually abuse girls under the pretense that he was examining them. One student even confided in the priest that she was raped by her own uncle, who was also a priest. Maskell's response was to also sexually assault the young girl. He stayed in the all-girls school until he was told by the new principal, Sister Mary Lita Freya, he would need to leave. Parents by this time had complained about him, and the headmistress simply marched into his office and told him he had 15 minutes to pack up and get out. Many victims repressed the horrific and systematic abuse they received at the hands of Maskell. It wasn't until 1992 when Gene Werner had a chance meeting with a high school friend that the abusive memories were triggered and began flooding back in. She knew she had to speak out and another former student named Teresa Lancaster then relayed her stories of abuse. In light of the allegations, Maskell was removed from his post and transferred to the Institute of Living in Connecticut for evaluation and treatment. However, just a year later he was allowed back into ministry. The following year, he was investigated in relation to the 1969 death of Sister Kathy Sesnick, a 26-year-old teacher who served at the Archbishop Coe High School with Maskell. Jean Warner recalled how she was asked by the young nun if there was someone doing something she wasn't comfortable with. Jean was only 16 at the time, and she nodded coyly without saying a word. Apparently, the nun had noticed the panic in some of the girls whenever they were called into the chaplain's room. However, months later, Sister Sesnick would be found murdered, and today her death still remains unsolved. After Maskell was questioned about the murder and another allegation involving photos of half-nude girls, he resigned as pastor and said he would seek inpatient treatment because of the stress from the lawsuit and allegations. But the lawsuit was eventually thrown out over a technicality. The archdiocese refused to name where Maskell was during the years, but it was later revealed he had moved to Ireland. The priest was never charged for any of his alleged crimes. Although there's no direct link with Maskell and Sister Kathy's murder, many believe he had something to do with it and killed her to keep her quiet. Maskell was highly connected with the local law enforcement in Baltimore, with his brother being a cop as well. He had his own police scanner, his own handgun, and often went on ride-alongs with other cops. Even during his death in 2001, he continued to deny the accusations against him. The story of abuse is recounted very well in Netflix's original series titled The Keepers, so check that out if you want more information about this case. Number 1. Father Hans Schmidt Father Schmidt was born and raised in Germany. From a young age, he exhibited a strong fascination with blood and dismemberment, and one relative recalled how he beheaded his mother's geese and kept their heads in his pocket. During his seminary days, he was charged with forging diplomas. Although prosecutors wanted him jailed, his lawyer managed to get him off the hook due to mental illness, which were said to have been present on both sides of the family. 
By December 28, 1904, Schmidt claimed to have been ordained into the priesthood by Bishop George Kirstein. His family questioned whether he had the moral and mental fitness to serve as a Catholic priest, but nevertheless, he began receiving parish assignments. While assigned to several small villages in the area, Schmidt repeatedly molested altar boys, including conducting affairs with multiple women and prostitutes in the area. Soon after, his eccentric sermons became a cause for concern among parishioners, and he was eventually removed. With no further assignments coming in, he decided to immigrate to the United States in 1909. He was first assigned in Louisville, Kentucky, at the St. John's Roman Catholic Church. Following a rift with a senior pastor there, he was transferred to St. Boniface's Church in New York City. During his transfer in 1912, he met the new housekeeper, Anna Mueller. In later conversations, he claimed to have heard the voice of God telling him to love Anna. While initially she shied away from his advances, she eventually succumbed and the two began an illicit affair. When the church discovered Schmidt's and Anna's relationship, the priest was transferred to St. Joseph's Church in West Harlem in an attempt to quell the relationship. But the two continued seeing each other and later on it was revealed that Schmidt himself presided over their marriage. During this time, he mentioned to Anna that while at the altar, he had received word from God telling him to sacrifice her. She saw it as nothing more than a joke. She called him crazy, and soon after that, Anna became pregnant. On September 2, 1913, Schmidt went into the apartment they rented while posing as a married couple. In there, he killed Anna by slashing her throat, and then he drank her blood. He had intercourse with her while she was bleeding to death, and afterwards dismembered her body and threw the parts into the East River. Schmidt then went back and put up Mass and Holy Communion as if nothing had happened, but the body parts would surface and it would lead police right back to him. When authorities arrived at the church's doorstep, Schmidt readily confessed about the crime and detailed everything that he had done. The trial that followed became a media circus. The first trial resulted in a hung jury because they couldn't decide whether he was insane or not. The second trial proclaimed him guilty and he was sentenced to the electric chair. He is suspected to have murdered a nine-year-old girl at St. John's Church while he was in Louisville, Kentucky. She had been burned and dismembered. He also was believed to have murdered people in Germany, but he never confessed to any of those because on February 18, 1916, at the age of 35, his execution was carried out. So they were the top five most sinful priests. Priests are the pillars of Christianity and deemed to be people of God. While many of them may mean well, sometimes they let ones in that commit heinous and atrocious acts, all while hiding behind the power of their status. If you like this video, then remember to subscribe to our channel because each week we have new videos coming out that we know you'll want to check out. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.